0: Morning. Applying these principles may change your life. People will look at you differently. They'll walk straighter, live bolder, and find out who you are. This is the Manlyhood Mancast.
1: Welcome to the Manlyhood Mancast. I'm your host, Josh Hatcher. Listen, today's interview we have author and journalist chuck holton chuck's book making men is a fantastic book i highly recommend it a lot of the guys that are in the man cave or that have been following the Manlyhood man cast have heard me talk about this book before and i know many men have gone through it and applied the principles to their lives and it's made a big difference chuck is a former army ranger i think it's a lot like the marines though you don't say former i think you still say army ranger when you're not uh and he's a journalist that goes all over the world into dangerous and crazy situations uh Chuck has a fantastic story and a really great insight into the world of men. So I encourage you to tune in and listen up. Uh, while you're waiting, because we'll have him on in just a second, I want you to make sure that you check out manlyhood.com slash store. That's where you can get apparel, like a manlyhood t-shirt or hoodie or a mug or something like that. You can also get the books and resources that I've created there. They're available for you uh, at manlyhood.com slash store. So we'll be back in just a moment with Chuck Holton. Chuck, it's great to have you on the Manlyhood ManCast. How are you doing today?
2: I have been looking forward to this for quite a while, ever since I found the Manlyhood ManCast.
1: (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. You know, so have I, to be honest with you. It's been a little while. I didn't have all of my stuff set up to be able to do recording. And so now here we go. I'm kind of excited. I've done several uh, interviews now, and we're just kind of growing from here. So um, Chuck, you uh, are living in Panama right now. Is that correct?
2: yeah, that's correct. We live here full time. Uh, we still have a place in the states, but uh, we've lived in Panama now f- since uh, well, we' made the decision to move on election night two thousand twelve.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. what's it, what's it like there? Tell me maybe the culture, the uh, the atmosphere, the, the that kind of stuff. What's it like?
2: Yeah, you know, one of the reasons we decided to move here was just because it's kind of like going back in time in the United States. when i was a kid Uh, the culture here is very traditional it's not very fragmented and divided like it is in the united states today it's still a very free country uh, for the most part and and prayer is required in schools Uh, abortion is illegal Uh, women stay home and take care of the kids and men go off to work and so there's a real harmonious balance uh, in in the culture if your kids want to go play, they can, you know, we live in a little town of about 6,000 people here in a volcanic crater. And uh, everybody knows everybody. You can ride your bike all over town. Your kids, you know, just go play. Just do, just like we did when I was a kid. You know, we just ride our bikes off and our parents had no idea where we were until it got dark. Okay, it was time for supper. They got hungry or whatever. And uh, we're surrounded by nature uh, the year round growing season and we're kind of high enough up in the mountains that it's not like sweaty tropical weather. It's more like about mid seventies all the time, kind of like springtime, uh, all year round. And so, I mean, it's hard to, hard to complain about that for sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And again, I think you told me earlier, you know, you're a citizen, so you still have all the, the rights and privileges of being an American. And then the advantage of, uh, enjoying, uh, a slower laid back culture as well, which is pretty exciting.
2: Yeah, we have like a, it'd be like a green card in the United States where we're permanent residents here. And you're right, it, it can be quite a bit less expensive um, as far as living concerns. But in reality, the biggest way that I save money by living here is on my taxes. And that's because uh, A, I don't pay any state tax, that saves me a lot. Uh, but B, since most of my work is outside the United States, I can then uh, qualify for the foreign income exclusion. And that means that between my wife and I, we can write off about the first 200 and something thousand uh, and pay no tax federally on that. So I would say, you know, if you added up all the state taxes, I mean, all the taxes that I save by living here and maybe throw on top of that the uh, amount of shopping my wife doesn't do on Amazon <laughs> since we live here. Right. Uh, it, prob- it, it saves me more than it costs me to live here. And, and so uh, I, I see that as a win-win. That's
1: awesome. So uh, let's get into some of the questions I wanted to ask and, and talk to you about. Your book, Making Men, uh, it's had a huge impact on a lot of men, a lot of men that I personally know um, you know, a lot of the guys actually that I'm connected with, with our church or in our community, kind of, it's, it's, it's been a movement here. Honestly, we're probably, uh, most of the books you've sold are probably <laughs> right here in, in this small town that I live in. Um, but you spell out some really important tenets about masculinity, about manhood, and kind of define it. Can you tell me a little bit about that? What, uh, you know, from that perspective in the book that you talk about, what, what does it look like for you? What does, it, what does it mean to be a man? And you, I, mean? you know, I
2: woke up one day in my mid-30s and said, holy cow, I've got three little boys and I'm supposed to make men out of these guys. And to be honest, I'm not sure I've got that figured out for me yet. And I don't know if you've ever gone through this, but just like starting to go, how old do I have to be before people consider me to be actually a man? Like, well, what point do you do you reach that stage? And especially if you live in a place where there's a lot of older people and they're always calling you, hey, young man, you know, and you're going... I'm 40, like, what what do I have to do here, you know? Um, So I decided that I, as a journalist, I would just sort of track down and try to become an expert on the subject of manhood. And I did that by looking at ancient cultures and how they defined manhood, uh, looking at uh, mature men that I knew and talking to them and asking them how they defined it. And then going through the Bible several times and looking for examples that it gives of men who did things right and men who did things wrong. Sometimes that's the same man, but just at different times. And, um, and so just tried to then take all of that information and distill it down to its most foundational precepts. Uh, something simple that I could teach my 12-year-old and that he would be able to get. Because as I watched... Young men, I did a lot of speaking at youth groups and schools, men's retreats, things like that. And as I watched those young men, I realized that a lot of those really stupid behaviors that they engage in are actually desperate attempts to prove to the world that they have got what it takes to be a man. And I realized that I had done the same thing when I was a kid. We used to jump off the roof of my house and play this game where you had to, like, dive into the bushes. And if you stuck, you won. And if you fell out, you know, it's amazing we, we survived to be teenagers. teenager. And if you died, but, you lost. <laughs> right. If you die, you lost. Right, And, um, you know, we'd shoot at each other with BB guns. We'd jump our bikes off and, you know, throw dirt claws. Everything. And, and so much of that, as I look back, was really a fledgling attempt to try to prove myself as a man. And so I wanted my sons, when they started to ask those questions, to be able to act out of a strength and not act out of a weakness, not act out of their insecurity, but act out of their confidence that that they knew what they needed to do to become a man. And so uh, you know, I was in the military and that means that I like uh, acronyms and I came up with this acronym, SHAPE, uh, that helps young men and old men memorize the steps to manhood. So as I realized as I went through it, you can't even start down the road to manhood until you submit to the one who bestows the gift of manhood, the, your creator. Uh, that's submission. Uh, and I'll just go through them really quick. Uh, The the second step is understanding which things are important and which things are not important and then treating them as such. That's called honor. That's what what we mean when we say honor. Honor denotes value. It just means to value things rightly. So um, treating things that are worthless as if they are worthless is probably the hardest thing that men have to do in everyday life in America. Treating things that are important as if they're important is marginally, marginally less difficult, but only a little bit. But it's, it's getting rid of those worthless things that is the hard part, uh, because a lot of those worthless things are fun. So uh, that's, that's honor. Then a man, when a boy starts to make that shift into manhood, you notice because he starts to look around him and get outside of his own head and be concerned about more than his own pleasure. And comfort and safety, he begins to be concerned with assessing the world around him and improving that world, making it a better place. And then, uh, when he when he makes that jump, then the outgrowth of that is that he stops thinking only about himself and he starts thinking about the needs of others, and he dies to his own desires and he provides for the needs of others. So uh, I couldn't make it the shade of a man. That wouldn't make any sense. So instead of saying he dies to his own desires, we said he perishes to his own desires, and, then, <laughs> and that let us make it the shape of a man. Uh, made made more sense. Uh, but he, he perishes to his own and his desires and, and provides for the needs of others. Then um, the last one is just that a, a man's greatest enemy is himself, the, the passivity that we all face wells up from within and is encouraged from without. Our, our culture encourages us to be passive because passive is, equals safe to the world. Uh, when you're on it, when you're engaged, when you're you know, getting after it, you're powerful and that scares people. Uh, that may, might make you a little too intense for some people. But that's what we're called to do as men, and that's how we become powerful as men. So by shunning passivity and engaging in every area of life, <clears throat> as I went through this, I realized that that last step really needed to be a book all by itself, because the you, know, you engage in every area, and every time you do, things get better. Every time you don't, fear creeps in, resentment creeps in, anger creeps in. And so to, to be engaged socially and spiritually and physically and from a business standpoint or academically or uh, financially or relationally, all of those ways uh, have a major effect on who I am. And when I engage, those things get better. When I am passive, they get worse. Um, and, and so uh, the outgrowth of my realization that that last step was so involved and there was so much to it that it needed to be its own book. That led to my next book, which just came out uh, this year, and that's called Prowess. Uh, the, you know, it's getting very good. Prowess just means being the, the skillful display of manly power. Doing that well, engaging well with the world around you and with yourself, Uh, and so um, that's it's it's an ongoing thing. Especially, you know, it's nice to watch my own sons as I've gone through this with them, starting when they were twelve years old, thirteen years old, fourteen years old, and I've been very intentional about teaching them these five steps, and even teaching them to my daughters, and then. watching the effect that it's had on their life where they go, yeah, dad, you know, I've got a son that's in the army. Yeah, dad, all the guys are going out and getting tattoos. But, you know, to me, that's just a a manifestation of weakness. Uh, Because God made me just like this. Why do I need to improve on that other than to try to make people think I'm something Uh, that I've always told my boys, the first thing people should notice about you is your character. It shouldn't be the tattoo in the middle of your face. And that's not to say that tattoos are sinful. It's not to to say that they're wrong necessarily. It's just to say that the vast majority of people that I have met who have a tattoo, I like to ask people about them. Like, hey, that's an interesting beluga whale on your chest. Why do you have that on there, you know? And because people don't do those things for no reasons, you wouldn't do that and and then not want anybody to notice. So I like to notice and ask them. And I would say the number one answer I get is I was drunk. <laughs> the number two answer I get is kind of an eye roll and well, I was young, you know, or something like that. But then I'll, I'll often get people that will actually have a very good reason why they got a tattoo. And that's a great conversation starter, that's fantastic. But I would say at least two-thirds of the people I talk to, uh, it, it tends to have been an outgrowth of immaturity or insecurity that caused them to, to do that to themselves. in something permanent that you, you don't get to take back. And so it's nice to watch my sons. I don't care if they get a tattoo. I really don't. But I just don't want them to act out of their weakness. I don't want them to act out of insecurity. And I don't want them to think that putting some stain on your body is going to somehow build a facade that's going to impress people when what they really should be impressed by is the way that you engage with the world around you. That's what should impress people. So anyway, that's that's where the book came from.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. I definitely highly encourage everybody to grab a copy and read through it. I haven't read Prowess yet. I'm hoping to grab that uh, do you have the, are they I'll send on, you a copy. That's awesome. Uh, is it available on Amazon if somebody's looking for it? Is that where you sell it or do
2: you sell it elsewhere? Yeah, sure. Yep. Okay. It's on Amazon, and we've got uh, audio version and uh, and a print version as well. Awesome.
1: Yeah, I. it's a fantastic book and would definitely like to look into it. You know, with me, when I read it, the chapter that I think punched me in the gut was when you were talking about passivity and uh, realized – I mean, that was my life, man. Like, I just – if it was hard, it was easier to put it off. <laughs> if it was difficult, if it took effort, if it took discipline, it was easier just to let it happen and then deal with it later. But I'm going to, I mean, you know this, I mean, if you do that, then it it becomes an even bigger mess you got
2: to clean up later. So that's, it snowballs, you know, and, and you right don't later. live up to your potential by any stretch.
1: Yeah, it really spoke to me and helped. I mean, honestly, it has a lot to do, I think, with me rising above a lot of my own stuff. So I, I really appreciate it. And, um, the you know, all of that together makes a lot of sense you know for guys where they 're at so uh, we 'll talk a little bit more about some of this manhood stuff in a minute. I think this is related though <laughs> you, you talked about your career as a journalist and i 've been kind of following what you 're doing online for a little while, some of the stories you 've doing I mean from uh, you know walking along with your camera along with the antifa riots or getting shot at in Syria or traveling with the migrant caravan. Um, that's just a few of the things that I've seen that you've done. Um, what's the stickiest situation that you've been in as you've been doing this as a career?
2: Well, I mean, the, the whole Antifa riots thing was, um, uh, pretty exciting. Um, although, uh, I didn't, I, I wasn't really scared being there just because I felt like, uh, you know, you're in a big public place, even though, these guys brought a thousand of their buddies. I could probably snap any of those guys in half. I did get uh, assaulted twice during that uh, the the inauguration day riots by Antifa guys uh, for taking photos and that sort of thing. Um, but I don't know. I was there with my son, my oldest son, and he was backing me up, so it was cool. Um, you know, I almost got kidnapped in Venezuela last year, uh, and that didn't scare me at the time. But afterwards, I kind of thought about it a little bit and. Thought what the outcome of that could have been, and that, that could have been really bad. Uh, I would say probably the most, the, the closest I've come to getting killed has been in Syria just in the last couple of trips over there fighting against ISIS. Uh, if you're familiar with the Free Burma Rangers, uh, Dave Eubank and his crew, I've kind of worked with them and reported on them uh, for, I don't know, probably 13 or 14 years now. And I've gotten more and more involved with them all the time to the point where this last trip, I just was like, you know what, I'm here as a ranger first and as a journalist second because I so believe in what they're doing. Basically what they do is just for those who don't know, any war zone where where people are in need, where people are getting hurt, there's a gap between where the people are actually getting hurt and where they can get some help. And that gap is because it's too dangerous in there uh, for traditional NGOs to go in to the fray and, and help people. So wounded folks typically have to get themselves through that gap, and that might be a kilometer or two. It might be a four-hour drive. I mean, it, it might be really far. So the Freebrim Rangers are basically a bunch of old special operations guys that uh, and medics that we have a bunch of armored vehicles and uh, armored ambulances or whatever, and we go into that gap and we go right up to the front line where people are, are you know, trying to escape from ISIS or where they're fleeing the battle. And we throw them in our ambulances, whatever, get them back to the nearest hospital or aid station or whatever it is, and try to keep them alive in the process. Uh, when I was in Syria last February, we were there right at the end of the fight against ISIS. And ISIS was on its last legs, but they were not Dead by any stretch, and they had about thirty thousand people crammed into like two square kilometer area right along the Euphrates River, uh, surrounded on one side by the Syrian army and the Russians, and the other side by the Americans and the Kurds. And um, a lot of people were trying to escape from there. Many of them were were family members of ISIS, their wives and children. Um, the day before we showed up, they had nineteen uh, Kurdish soldiers killed by people that were fleeing, who then blew themselves up as soon as they got to safety. Uh, and so it was very dangerous. Uh, in, that, in that mission, FBR treated like 40,000 uh, refugees and wounded. Um, so, I mean, it was, you know, and you're talking about two dozen people, two dozen guys. That's quite a, quite a team. Uh, camping out in the desert in Syria, uh, carrying weapons for our own defense, not, not offense, not going, not looking for a fight by any stretch. But one of the rules of the Free Brim Rangers is that if the people can't run, then we won't run. And if that means getting overrun by the enemy and getting killed, that's what's going to happen. So we're not going to leave people. We won't leave anybody behind. And so that means that sometimes it's necessary to have a weapon and defend the people that you're with. Otherwise, we're all going to get killed. Um, and since we have the wherewithal and the inclination to do that, and and the permission, I I would add from the the people who control that area, the the Syrian Kurds, uh, then we carry weapons and and we'll use them if we have to. Um, on this last mission in November, it was far worse, and that's because the the refugees were. Christians and Kurds from Syria that were being driven out by the remnants, uh, well, it was by the Turkish military, Um, and the Turkish military is the, I think, the eighth largest military in the world. It's like going up against the U.S. military. I mean, we're going up against ISIS, they've got AK-47s and RPG launchers. You're going up against the Turks, they've got tanks and artillery and drones and F-16s, and they're not afraid to use them. Uh, against military or civilian. They don't care who you are. They were killing doctors left and right. And they actually employed, they had about 40,000 guys at the fall of Raqqa back in 2015 who were ISIS fighters that made a deal with the Turks to switch sides and fight for the Turks. And they became what's now known as the Free Syrian Army. They're just as brutal as ISIS because they are ISIS. They're ISIS 2.0. But now they're backed up by drones and tanks and artillery and things like that. So it was far more dangerous. And on this last trip, we were uh, under fire literally on a daily basis. Uh, and sometimes, uh, you know, you're watching your buddies running for the vehicle with bullets going between their feet. And I mean, that's that's far too close for comfort. That's that's uh, not cool. It was really a, a emotionally difficult time for me because... When you make that commitment, as you know, when you go going in as a ranger, okay, we're going to make that commitment. We're going to not leave anybody behind. And that means these Syrian civilians as well. I kind of realized at some point after a particularly hairy uh, ambush where we had just, we'd been ambushed and barely got out with our lives. um, I don't really love these people that much. Like, I don't know them. You know, I don't, I don't, love these Syrians enough to lay down my life for them. And I I say that to my shame. I should, but I don't. And so I struggled with, can I really do this? And then in talking with Dave Eubank, the founder of the FBR, uh, and and being honest with him about that, he kind of made the point, well, I mean, we don't necessarily do it because we love them so much. We do it because we love Jesus so much and Jesus is calling us to help these people and so we're going to stay and help them and and we're going to trust Jesus for whether we live or die. And I do love Jesus enough to stay if he's calling me to stay and so I don't have to love those people directly. I just have to love them as a show of gratitude to Jesus and that makes total sense to me. I can stay there. I can keep going back and doing that mission because I do love Jesus enough because of what he's done for me. And I know I can trust him that if it's my time to go, it's my time to go. I don't, I don't go over there and and say, well, no, I trust Jesus is going to protect me. He, He has protected me many times, but what I trust Jesus to do is to do the right thing for me. And If it's my time to be done after just in the last couple of months, watching my own mother suffer for months before she passed away from cancer, Um, if I had to get blown up by a drone like one of my friends did over there two days after I left in November and get killed that way, that would be much preferable to fading away like my mother did over the course of eight months. Uh, and so God's taught me some really hard lessons over the last year in, in why I do what I do. And, um, the, the motto of the free Burma Rangers is, uh, well, of uh, sort of one of the mottos is, is, uh, I just, I won't be driven by comfort or fear or pride. And if, if I refuse to be driven by comfort or fear or pride, then, I'm, I'm in the right place. I'm doing the right thing. And nothing done out of love is ever crazy. It might look crazy. People might tell you it's crazy. But if I'm doing it for love, then it can't be crazy. Uh, and, and God, I think, blesses that. So uh, I think what I've learned is that victory doesn't necessarily come by defeating the enemy every time. I'm going to lose some of the battles that I engage in in life. I lose the battles against lust. I lose the battles against pride. I lose the battles against, uh, you know, laziness. But victory comes from staying in the fight. Victory comes from, from being in that battle. That's where the victory is because that's what I'm called to be doing until the end. I'll retire in heaven, right? I'm a soldier of Jesus Christ first. So if I retire in heaven, then victory means keeping fighting until that day.
1: It's funny because I had a question and you answered it. I was going to ask you, uh, you know, if you think your training as an army ranger uh, has to do with that fearless attitude, but uh, you you said you aren't fearless. It just doesn't drive you, I think, is kind of what you're saying. You know, there's fear there, but you're not going to let it
2: be what drives you. I mean, I honestly, um, I mean, the kind of fear... That you're talking about, that 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 um, uh, emotion of, oh my gosh, I could, you know, this might hurt or whatever. Uh, I haven't felt that kind of fear in in many years. What I I, I think supplants it is perhaps that n- logical thought that man, a guy could really get hurt doing this. Uh, you know the, uh, we could really die here today, guys. so maybe we need to think real hard about what we 're doing right now. and maybe we need to ask Jesus again if this is what He wants us to do. Um, one of the the way that I, I actually wrote a whole book about this, but what helped me sort of overcome that feeling of fear, that that emotion of fear, is that understanding that I am invincible until God is done with me. Hmm. That that I, my job is to take the next step and the next step and the next step. I actually uh, tell you real quickly a story about interviewing the uh, military psychologist in charge of the psyche valves for all of the tier one special operations guys, Delta Force, SEAL Team Six, stuff like that. And I interviewed him for my book, Bulletproof. And he told me, that they have found over the years that a guy who has a strong faith foundation will always make a better soldier than a guy who doesn't consistently. He will do better in combat than a guy who doesn't have a faith foundation. And I asked him why that was. And he said, well, uh, my belief is that when your worldview tells you that everything is random chance, that, you know, everything just happens because it happens. You tend to get, feel the need to control everything around you. You get very controlling and you need to, you need to kind of keep a handle on everything that's going on all the time. Well, combat by definition is a very uncontrollable environment and it's total chaos. So your worldview, if that's the way you think means you're just going to get very task-saturated, trying to control everything around you. But if you have a worldview that says everything happens for a reason, there is a divine driver to the universe, he's in control, he's all-powerful, and he's good, and he cares about me, well then I can just leave what happens up to him and I can just focus on doing my job. I can just focus on staying in my lane, right? And and just doing what I'm called to do. And when I do that, then the fear goes away because I'm I'm not steering this bicycle or I, or this ship, you know. I I talked to a guy on our Arms Room podcast this this last Saturday. And he wrote a book called Get in the Galley and Row. And he's saying, you know, that's what we're called to do is, man, we're not supposed to be up at the, at the helm driving the ship. We're supposed to be down in the galley pulling for all we're worth. And then we don't have to worry where the ship ends up. We can trust God. We don't have to worry how hairy it gets, how smoky it gets, how uncertain it gets, how dark it gets, how hard it gets or painful it gets. All we have to worry about is pulling those oars just pulling for all we're worth until the day is until the mission is over. And, and when I understand that that's my only job, I don't have to feel fear because whatever is going to happen is going to happen. And, and that victory comes through surrender to the one who's driving the ship.
1: I love that. I think that it has a lot of applicable lessons not just in, <laughs> you know, warfare or fighting or when your life is on the line or other people's lives are on the line. But I mean, I think that I think there's some good stuff to unpack there. I really appreciate that. That's awesome. I, I know that a lot of us are dads. You you said you've got four kids. Is that right?
2: I got uh, I got three boys and two girls, bookend girls, three boys in the middle. And the youngest two are 17 years old now. So they're all pretty much grown I'm trying to talk my wife into five more. She says she would miss me, uh, but hopefully I'll have some grandkids coming along here before too long.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, my uh, My oldest two got married this summer. They were twins, and they both got married in the same summer. And uh, the next one down is he's about to graduate high school, and then the last one is 15. So it's definitely, uh, um, yeah. I keep thinking, hey, grandkids, man, that'd be awesome. So
2: yeah, I and mean, you start to look around the house and go. Uh, what do we do now? I mean, I guess it 's just time to die, guess <laughs> we 're done like
1: <laughs> so 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 I know that a lot of our listeners are dads or stepdads, especially uh, i 've got a lot of guys that have young kids. Um, what do we need to teach our sons and our daughters, but especially our sons about manhood? What do you think is the most important thing we can teach them?
2: Yeah, so um I would say that uh, concept of that the Freebird Rangers talks about of not being driven by comfort or fear is so foundational to the process of making a good man that if I taught that to a nine-year-old only and didn't teach him anything else, just never be, never let yourself be motivated by comfort or fear, uh, that in and of itself would probably be all he would need to be, make him a good man. Um, as I have been on this lockdown here in Panama, there's been a young man staying with us that kind of got stuck here with us. He's a friend of a family, that we know here in panama and uh, he's 15 years old actually turned 16 and just last week we had no idea that he was going to end up spending nine weeks with us uh, he came for about three days just for the weekend and while he was here they locked down the whole country and nobody could go anywhere so he's been here ever since so i've just been just pouring into him for nine weeks we've been literally pouring protein into his body We've been working out. We brought our—I had a gym here in town that we had to close down. We brought the whole gym home and put it in the carport. We've been just crushing it with my, my son who ran the gym, uh, who's 17. uh, Every day, we have just spent hours and hours being able to talk through these kinds of things. We've sat him down and made him watch movies like The American Sniper and like Black Hawk Down and stuff he hadn't seen before to try to give him a sense of what real combat is like and why it's not gla- glamorous or glorious in any way, but why it's still necessary. And uh, it's been really good just to be able to sit and have this very willing, very interested, enthusiastic young man going, man, yeah, teach me, bring it, you know, I want to know. Um, and, he's gonna
1: go home and have gained like fifty pounds of muscle. His, his that's parents right. would have no <laughs> idea who this kid is. That's right.
2: He's gonna <laughs> walk in and look down at his parents and go, "You're small." <laughs> I think he's gained like fourteen pounds in the last two months, <laughs> that's and <muscle>. uh, <laughs> he's just—he's <laughs> a stud. But uh, he's a great kid. Just a great kid. He's very—it's he very rare to find a young man, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen years old, who is mature enough to get outside of his own head and actually listen to an adult. Uh, most of the time, what, he's not going to listen to his parents. If you can find him an uncle or a friend at church or something, all of a sudden that guy can tell him exactly what his dad has been telling him the whole time, and all of a sudden now it's gospel. That's kind of <laughs> how this has been. But uh, the, what I've really been focusing on with him Is just that concept of don't be motivated by comfort or fear. So, hey, are we working out today? Oh, man, I'm just so sore. I'm so tired. Are you being motivated by comfort right now or fear? Which one is it? (laughs) He's like, both. (laughs) 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 Like, yep. All right. That means it's time to look when you have a decision to make, son, and you don't know which one you should make. The one you want to do the least is almost always the right one. Right. Right. So let's make a habit of this together. Boom, boom, boom. He had never fasted before. He certainly didn't need to fast. He's like 110 pounds. But we fasted together just, you know, for 24 hours, just so he could say he did it, just so he could see that he could survive it. And it's been that process of what kind of hardship can we embrace together today so that you when you walk out of here, you're going to feel like way more of a man than you were when you walked in because what makes you feel like a man is having defeated yourself. It's having conquered the guy that you shave. And so you want to gain confidence. You want to gain in, in your, your uh, dealings with other men or with women. What you've got to do is you've got to conquer the, this guy. And so it's been a process over the last nine weeks of just working to help him do that over and over and over again. And it's really pitiful when my youngest daughter, I'll hear her down there going, Mark, are you being motivated by comfort right now? <laughs> that's,
1: that's crazy. I love it.
2: I've had to go down and tell her, no, 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 no. Like you you don't get to you don't get to talk to him like that. That's not that's not your place, okay? <laughs>
1: She's just trying to help
2: <laughs> she is
1: <laughs> no, I love it. That's awesome. Well, I know that you mentioned uh kind of before we started our interview that the lockdown like they look like they might be able to let you guys uh get out soon. How does that looking?
2: They have extended the lockdown until the first of July basically at this point, but um we just found out today about a humanitarian flight from Panama to the United States the, on the 25th of May. So we're jumping on that thing, man, because I got to get back to work. It's uh, It's been fun. This has really been, I've always said that for me, a vacation, I mean, when you you talk to a guy whose job it is to go to 25 countries a year and, you know, see everything exciting that that is happening in the world, uh, my idea of a vacation is, is a week at home with a power outage so nobody can get a hold of me. And, uh, you know, two months at home w- uh, under quarantine, that's pretty close. Uh, we have a very nice place here in Panama in a beautiful part of the, uh, of the country. Uh, and my wife and I, I mean, you know, we talk about how hard it is to live our priorities. If my priorities are God, you know, my spiritual life, uh, my family life, and my physical life, taking care of my body. If those are the three most important things, and somehow they always get pushed to the end of the line because making a living takes a takes precedence and and it's easier to get slack from over there well when the take making a living part gets just taken away from you and there's nothing else to do this this two months has been fantastic for me I have been able to do nothing but work on my spiritual life my relational life and my physical life and I've memorized the entire book of Romans 8 or or, uh, chapter of Romans 8 I've been working on the, uh, the some of the Beatitudes. I've been, you know, just really pounding Scripture. It's been awesome. Um, I've been able to spend every morning and every evening on the roof. Uh, we have a terrace on the roof of the house that has a beautiful view overlooking the, the mountains. With my wife having coffee, I've been able to spend a lot of time uh, pouring into my kids that are left here. And I've been able to just crush it in the gym every day. So this has been fantastic. But... I do need to get back to making a living. And so I'm going to have to go somewhere where the, that'll allow me to do that.
1: Awesome. So uh, if we've got listeners that want to maybe follow some of the stories that you put out or they want to get any of your books, what's the best way for them to connect with you?
2: Uh, I mean, you can Google my name and find out far more about me than you ever wanted to know. I, I just, <laughs> just remember I was young. I needed the money. But um <laughs> But uh, no, I I would say probably the majority of the things that I do get aggregated to my author page on Facebook. If you're not on Facebook, you can find me on YouTube. Um, I don't really do Insta or Twitter a whole lot, but a little bit uh, over there. Um, of course, some of my journalism stuff goes on the Christian Broadcasting Network website. I've been you know, farming stuff out to other outlets as well. Uh, Facebook is probably the best place to kind of, you know, see everything though.
1: Awesome. I, and I know that you are in the Manlyhood man cave too. So if some of our guys are in there, they want to shout out to you or touch base with you. I know you you've, uh, had some great comments over the time that you've been in, so I'm sure they could ask you questions if they want to know. So, so Yeah,
2: do that. As a matter of fact, you know, uh, when this whole thing started, I lost out on a couple of speaking engagements. And so I thought, you know what, I want to still keep pouring into men. So I started this, um, it's not a podcast. It's just a Zoom call we do every Saturday called The Arms Room and started bringing on some leaders of the men's movement and you know guys like Jerry Boykin, Jeff Struker, Dave Eubank, Oliver North. Uh, gosh, we've just had a Victor Marks, a whole bunch of guys on. Um, and having them give little devotionals for guys uh, every Saturday morning, 9 a.m. Eastern. And we've had hundreds of people on, uh, it's just grown and grown and grown. I have no idea what's going to come of that. My thought was that we would only do it for the period of the quarantine, but I've gotten so, many, so much feedback from guys that want to continue it. that So for the time being, we're going to keep doing it. So uh, 9 a.m. Uh, Eastern, Saturday mornings, we do this thing, get on Zoom, and uh, you can find the link to that on uh, bit.ly slash armsroom or you can go just to my Facebook page and we'll post it there every week.
1: Awesome. Uh, we're definitely going to check it out and encourage our guys to. We'll share the link if anybody wants to tune in. So that's awesome. Thank you very much for that. And uh, anything else you want to share with our guys while we still got you on the line?
2: Hey, I just wanted to, want you to know that uh, I've been watching your little short videos you put up and I've uh, been following the man, Manlyhood Man Cave for a long time. And I really appreciate not just the, the stuff that you put on there, but the tone of the the site. It's it's uh, really, I think you struck the right chord uh, for men because one of the things I'm learning as we do this arms room thing is that there are so many guys from so many walks of life. It, it, you might live in downtown Cleveland in the inner city and some other guy might live out in the country in New Mexico in the, on a ranch or something and your lives might as well be on different planets. But we both have similar needs in in the way that we relate to our families and our jobs and things like that. Um, and so it's easy to fall off the wagon and become very sectarian one way or another, uh, get you know f- way too charismatic or way too uh, orthodox or wh- whatever. You don't deal with that kind of stuff in the manlyhood man cave. And I like that a lot, uh, that, that you're just sort of catering to men wherever they happen to be And that's why I think it's a great place for me to be.
1: Yeah, well, I I love having you there. I mean, I know when anybody talks to me, they they know that, uh, (laughs) you know, I'm definitely opinionated and I definitely have a very strong perspective on things. (laughs) We probably share a lot of those perspectives, but, you know, I I know that we're not going to win if we... Get fighting over the stuff that really some of the stuff doesn't matter at all, you know. You're right. And you're right. So I think that's that. I see a lot of men's groups descend into that, and I don't want to do that. So I I think if we focus on the stuff that matters, I think it helps. So I really appreciate that you noticed that. That actually means a lot to me that you that you caught on to what we're doing there. <laughs>
2: that's great. That's great. So, How do you stay awesome. looking so young? I want to know that.
1: Oh yeah, you know what? Um, I used to tell everybody that it was the fat pushes out the wrinkles, and then. <laughs> <laughs> I lost uh, you know, 100 pounds, and now the wrinkles are coming back. So it's, it doesn't stay young forever, apparently.
2: <laughs> it's, it must just be all that clean living, then.
1: Yeah, yeah. That must be what it is. <laughs> anyway, thanks for, thanks for being on the show. I really appreciate it.
2: Yeah, man. Great talking to you. I, I enjoyed it.
0: You want to be a better man? Check out our website. Manlyhood.com for blogs, videos, and more from our Manlyhood team. You can also join our private Facebook group, Manlyhood Man Cave, where you can meet up with a band of brothers who will challenge you and help you on your journey of manhood. Be sure to check out all our resources at manlyhood.com store. This episode is produced by Fetcher Media for manlyhood.com. Our manly theme music is from Austin Sterling and also from Mark Cruz. Sure to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes, YouTube, or whatever you're listening to. Tune in again for more of the Manlyhood Mancast.